You've survived the worst. Trauma, loss, rejection. The reality is, your pain can be a crutch, or it can be the thing that launches you. You're listening to the Purpose Through Pain podcast, a podcast dedicated to helping you experience true freedom and breakthrough. Tune in each week as guests share their incredible life lessons from their personal stories and hear from experts who can give you the tools you need to stop surviving and start thriving. Here to help you find purpose through your pain is your host, Joseph James. Hey everyone, welcome to another great episode of Purpose Through Pain Podcast. I am your host, Joseph James, and I have a very lovely friend uh, today with me. She is a toxic relationship specialist, host of the globally acclaimed Toxic Person Proof Podcast, and best-selling author of Toxic Person Proof, Clear the Confusion, and Learn to Trust Yourself. She helps the world most amazing women remember how amazing they are after expressing pain and confusion from a parent, family member, friend, coworker, or romantic partner. She's out to help get you past the past, get real about what is going on in the present, and get serious about creating an amazing future. And this is a woman right here that is speaking straight from experience. Sarah, thank you so much and welcome to the show. Thank you for having me, happy to be here. Absolutely, absolutely. Yeah, I think we already have some stuff in common. Before before we hit play, there were so many things and we were like, oh, do you like this? Do you like this? So I know everyone's in for a great conversation. Absolutely, absolutely. Uh, you know, Sarah, when you ultimately the 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 premise of our show is is helping people find their purpose through pain. We all experience pain in life, okay? Mm-hmm. Some of us to different degrees, but none to be compared one pain versus another, okay? I lost my dad and wife all within the same month, but somebody else may have lost somebody else or gone through a divorce. Pain is still pain no matter how you look at it. But you have found yourself to the point of where you didn't just find your purpose through pain, you're helping people out, you've been featured on CBS, NBC, Fox News, uh, been amongst some of, the, some of the great motivational speakers of our time and even some, I guess, before my time because I'm 43 and we mentioned Tony Robbins. He's been doing it for well over 40 years. He's been years, doing so. it for a long time, yeah. <laughs> I'm glad I realized that he's been doing it a lot longer than I'm living. Um, so, but how did you get into this? What happened in your life that led you to not only just writing a book about toxic people, but getting set free from it, living, not dwelling on your past, but living in the present and looking forward to the future. So I did not grow up thinking I would be a toxic relationship specialist, as you can imagine, you know, and, uh, but I just found myself in this real cycle of having my kindness used against me. I think I thought as long as I did what I thought was the right thing, which I would now call people pleasing, that either God or the universe or whoever would watch out for me. And I didn't have to learn the wisdom of watching out for myself. Mm. And so my kindness was used against me over and over. And I just thought, oh, I'll just forgive. I'll just trust. It'll all work out. Things will be fine. And things were not fine. (laughs) And I ended up in situations where people took advantage of me, um, took advantage of that kindness, took advantage of forgiveness, and took advantage of what I now call um, being naive. I, I, it was, I, 
I wanted to get better at the things I was already good at. And I was already good at being nice. I was already good at being for, pretty good at being forgiving. I was already good at looking for the best in people. And I didn't want to look at the whole picture. And Maya Angelou has a quote that says, when people tell you who they are, believe them. And people would tell me who they are. And I would say, that's not a gorilla. That's a puppy dog, you know, or that's not a lion. That's a kitty cat. And all the data was before me that maybe these people were more selfish or were addicted to anger or, you know, had double lives or were manipulators. And I just kind of said, no, I'm sure they're nice. I'm sure they're good. But I didn't stop to ask, are they good for me? Wow. And that's the conversation I want to change. That, that's interesting because it's so, I grew up in a faith-based family and so I was always taught you look for the best in everybody. You know, you look for their potential. And I learned at a very young age that it was, it was okay to be walked over. Yes. Because you had to do what? Turn the other cheek, you know, and you love them back. And, but then one thing that I started finding myself is I was always looking for other people's approval because mm -hmm. I was always letting other people talk down to me. And so I never had the affirmations. I never, I was caring so much. And I've always heard this comment, your greatest strength can also be your greatest enemy or your weakest point in your life as well. And like you, what you were saying is you cared so much for so other people, but yet we totally, it's, it's so easy, especially in a relationship, whether it's with your parents, whether it's with a, a you know, a, a, a new boyfriend, girlfriend or significant other to look out, especially if you have a servant's heart to look out for those people and to serve other people and totally neglect the most important person of it all, and that's yourself. So that verse, love others as you love yourself. We interpret it to say, love everyone except for yourself. Mm. Mm. And that is not what the Bible says. Right. It says grace and truth. And we get really good on the grace and really muddy on the truth. And what I realized is I was actually helping people become a better sinner. You were, by, by not addressing the issues that they were ultimately portraying, you were condoning it. And if you're condoning it, you're agreeing with it. So I think about it, if there was a heroin addict and I took them heroin, People would not say, wow, you're a really good person for supplying the heroin addict with heroin. That's not considered a nice thing to do. Right. Okay. But as you know, it can be a very considered nice to cover over another sin. Or if you're not identifying with that religious language, cover over someone else's darkness. Yeah. Okay. And so they could have a really dark place in them that needs the light to shine in. It could be extremely selfish. It could be living a double life. It could be being manipulative. It could be being addicted to anger. So if you have, let's say, a father who's addicted to anger and he's, you know, demeaning the kids in his family, demeaning his wife, he's 
blowing up his life in several different areas. It's not nice to take a heroin addict anger, but it's like, oh, you're a good daughter if you keep things within the family. If you don't tell people, you know, or stand by your man in a romantic relationship, but it's actually spreading darkness. Yeah, you know that the, the you know going back to scripture, things can be so twisted by our own interpretation. You know, husband loves your wife like Christ loved the church. Women submit to your wife, and submission is not the acceptance of being treated. You know, a, a man, you know, man or women, because it, it can definitely go right. both ways. But being and living in a toxic relationship. I know so many people, including my mother, stayed in a marriage regardless of how toxic it was under the name of submit yourself to your husband. Submit, wives, submit yourself to, to, uh, to your husband. And that's not what God is talking about. It's not what the, the word of God is talking about at, at all, you know, and because why, why would a loving God want us to remain in a toxic situation? He wants a healed situation. He wants a, a peaceful situation. Now, do I believe in praying for my family and praying for those people and believing God's going to heal them? Absolutely. But ultimately, I can't and I'm not the healer. You know, I'm, I'm learning this now being in a new relationship coming out of losing my wife to cancer that all the things that I dealt with going all the way back to my childhood of living in a toxic family of my dad was abusive verbally, physically, mentally, emotionally to us and looking for, always looking for approval, having that, that abandonment issues, having rejection issues, that all these things are now or have been over the last year uh, resurfacing up in my life that I didn't know I still had, but I can't expect my partner to heal me of it. God has to do the healing. Okay. Now I do believe that God uses people in our path to yeah. help lead and direct us, pray for us, and he can use that person to bring the healing, but they're not the healer. Mm -hmm. I think I said four times this week that I'm not God. Yeah. Four times. I remember just saying, I am not God. I am not God. My good behavior does not change someone else's behavior. I can be as good as I want. I'm still not God. Absolutely. And you know, we, we've coined the phrase or people have coined the phrase and you hear it all the time. Be the change that you want other people mm -hmm. to see. No, 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 no. Be the change that you want within yourself. Okay. Because if I am doing it for somebody else to see, ultimately I can't change them anyways. Mm -hmm. I have to be the change within myself for me to see. Because when I start seeing the change within myself, then I start seeing the world in a different in a different viewpoint. I'm able to recognize more toxicity. I'm able to recognize healthiness. I'm able to recognize different things that maybe I need to be a part of or maybe I don't need to be a part of, you know? But if we're coming with the mindset of be the change you want the world to see, that's the wrong that's the wrong approach even though it has validity to it. It's we have to be the change that we want to see within ourselves. Other people will see it, okay? And that's what brings healing. Okay, mm -hmm. it's the love of Christ within us. You know, it's not standing out there on, on, on the corner preaching, you know, the word of God and telling people how sinful they are. Yeah. Jesus never did that. Okay. Well, Jesus didn't do that, nor did Jesus get beat up because other people felt like beating him up. 
And that's something we miss. When we think about the concept of turning the other cheek, we forget how often Jesus fled the Pharisees. Right. How many times they picked up stones. And Jesus did not come here to be good at getting beaten up. Right. He was he died on the cross one time for our sins. But there were many times throughout scripture that people tried to physically harm him or emotionally harm him. And he got away over and over and over. And no one's preaching that in the Bible, you know, from our pulpits, very few people are preaching that. They're preaching turn the other cheek 70 times seven. Yeah. Do not let the sun go down on your anger. I'm great with those things. But if we take the whole scripture, including Jesus's actions, he actually fled toxic relationships over and over. I was gonna, I was getting ready to kind of put, pull that twist in there. You know, so ultimately, you know, it's more than just forgiving somebody. Yes, that is probably one of the biggest steps to healing, especially within yourself, is forgiving yourself. We always talk about forgiving other people. Always talk about that. You gotta forgive your, your the person. You gotta give. You know, forget. You gotta forgive yourself because a lot of blame that does happen. We get past blaming them and then we start blaming ourselves, and we stay on the aspect of blaming ourselves a lot longer. We may be bitter towards them, but I should have never stayed. I should have left earlier. I should have, I should have, I should have, I should have. And we take that blame on us, you know, but ultimately we have to, you know, like you said, flee that toxic relationship. But let me ask you this. You found yourself in a toxic relationship at what point, you know, and if you want to go into detail, what was it like? But what point did you find, like, I I've got to get out of this to save myself? So my favorite question is, you know, were you in a toxic relationship? And Joseph, that is so kind that you think it was just one. Uh, you were thinking much higher of me than what actually happened. <laughs> and I do want to point that out because sometimes people say, well, you seem so confident. You seem so smart. You seem so whatever. And um, I talk about something called smart girl or smart guy syndrome, which is I've never met a problem I couldn't fix with enough hard work. So why can't I fix the problems in this relationship too? Wow. And that's where I say, I am not God. I am not God. <laughs> I remind myself. And that's really what happened, the, the place I got to. And I thought, I am not God. I, I, I can't take this anymore. I can't take the, the battering of, well, do you think I'm okay? Do you think I'm okay? And not, know, not doing the work of knowing myself and saying no more. It's, it's so neat that you say that because we think, when we think toxic relationship, we always think the other person is the one that's toxic. It could be us that's so toxic to ourselves by not having, not feeling the worth. I don't feel like I measure up because I had that issue because so much rejection from my father stemmed into relationships or me looking for a partner Okay, and the moment I heard no from a female, even as a young age, at a very young age, that no gave me the same feeling as of my dad saying no or my dad demeanoring me. And so I'm like, well, I'll just avoid no. Mm -hmm. Okay, 
And what it all boiled down to is how I was seeing myself in the moment of why my dad said no. I created a story or scenario why somebody else said no. And that no still came to bother me and I'll say haunt me, so to say, even though that's, you know, into my 40s. And I'm only, I just turned 43 last week because I had an issue with asking people for money when it came to selling. Why? Because what is the one nerd, one word that every salesman hears the most of? No, 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 no. And you hear no, Grant Cardone says you hear no until you get a yes. I didn't want to hear the yes because I wasn't willing to hear all the no's. That's really important. And it's, that's why when I ask people, what's your healing strategy from a toxic parent? Or what's your healing strategy from a toxic partner? And they say things like, well, I'm, I'm spending time in nature or I'm going on a trip or I'm doing yoga or I'm on a dating app. And it's like, okay, the problem is the structure left over from rejection of a toxic parent or partner. And you're trying to heal that hiking. Yeah. And I, I make a joke. And if I hear that on a call with someone, I'll say, oh yeah, I hadn't seen the, the statistics around people who hike are less likely to be in a toxic relationship than people who don't hike. Can you send me that study? And, if, and then they recognize how disjointed their healing strategy is from what problem they're trying to solve. And really all that is is a depression mechanism. It's a coping yeah. mechanism. It's, yeah, it's a coping mechanism. And hiking is a better coping mechanism than drugs. Of course. It, you know, it, there's nothing wrong with hiking. There's a lot of studies about vitamin D and putting yourself in nature. There's nothing wrong with that. But when you think really and truly, what problem am I trying to solve? I'm trying to firm up my identity left over after a toxic parent for this example's rejection, their demeaning of me. Um, I want to be able to bulletproof, toxic person proof my life so that when I show up in other people, I'm truly leaving the past behind me. And then I say, you know, what's your strategy? And you say, I'm going on dating apps. And you're like, Oh no, that's not connected to the problem you're trying to solve at all. And that's, that's the conversation I really want to get out there is matching up people's healing strategies with their actions. Absolutely. So how do you go about doing that? How does somebody to our listeners, not knowing what it, maybe they don't know what a healing strategy is, or maybe they're only thinking surface, like I'm going on the dating apps or I'm going to the gym or I'm going, how do we get to that point of knowing what a healing strategy is? So in my work, I can go over some different healing strategies, but in my work, it's a three-step process. One, reconnect with what's right with you, okay? We're talking about that rejection piece. If the only thing in your head is codependency, low self-esteem, trauma bonding, gaslighting, narcissism, abuse, whatever it is, then you can see that that's not going to build up your energy or your confidence. It kind of sucks. Those things suck. Not that you ignore them, but if that's your only healing strategy is, okay, what's wrong with me? What's wrong with me? What's wrong with me? There's going to be some gaps, especially if you're trying to increase your bank account, increase sales, increase your uh, ability to date without feeling rejected. You've got to reconnect with what is right with you. Because a toxic person probably didn't point out what was right with you. Right. They talked about what was wrong with you. 
And then I see people go to therapy and talk about what's wrong with them for another three years. And then they say, I don't know why I'm not feeling better. And I'm like, I know why you're not feeling better. You'd actually be better off hiking. <laughs> so that's the first piece. Then becoming toxic person proof is it's easy to Google a list of red flags. It's hard to know what to do when you see the red flags. It's hard to know how to establish the integrity of you that says, if someone is breaking down my boundaries, I'm going to have to discontinue or change their access, okay? So becoming toxic person-proof is way more than just being able to list off the traits of a narcissist or understanding the definition of gaslighting. It's that integrity to yourself, okay? Um, so we connect with what's right with you. Become toxic person proof, be able to act in integrity to yourself and trust yourself. And third, design a life you're excited about living. The best revenge is a life well lived. You know, if your dad says you're a loser and then you create a life of winning and success and health and emotional health and happiness, and then it's going, you're going to be able to separate that your dad thought you were a loser a whole lot more than if you actually feel like a loser. Yeah, that's good. But how does somebody go about designing the life that they want, that they deserve? How does somebody go about that? You started at the end of the process. Everybody wants that, right? Yeah. I know it's going to take, you know, understanding the healing strategy, understanding and to reconnect what's right with you, understanding, you know, getting, getting rid of the toxic, you know, the toxicity in your life, the red flags, things like that. But in those things right there because it's almost like you're doing all three at the same time. Yeah. yeah. You're yeah. doing your, because to reconnect, to get rid of the red flag, you have, it's almost like you have to know the end goal. Okay. Of what does my life look like? Fully satisfied, full of joy, full of happiness, full of whatever. And if I can picture that, then I know I can, it's almost like the motivating factor of the finish line, right? Mm -hmm. Then I know I can run the race, but for me to run the race of reconnecting what's right with me and getting rid of the red flag, not getting rid of them, but how to go about it and how to get rid of the toxicity. So how do we design the life? So people have a really hard time with that. And I'll say, what do you want? You know, a year from now, what do you want your life to look like? And a lot of people cannot answer that question. They can say what they don't want. But when I say, what do you want? It's hard to say that. And they, they call me the success fairy because so many people who work with me end up increasing their bank account, making more money. And I'm like, yeah, I take people and make them believe in themselves again. Yeah, they're making more money. No one makes their best money angry and upset about what happened with their dad or ex-husband or mother or aunt or sister. Okay, so using that energy to find better problems to solve. That is how I would start to design a life. Wow. If the problem you're trying to solve is changing your past, that's a terrible problem to solve. Mm -hmm. If the problem you're trying to solve is how to develop rebound strategies so that if you feel rejected, 
you can bounce back more quickly and it takes 30 minutes to bounce back or even three minutes to bounce back rather than three days. That's a significantly different life. Absolutely. Absolutely. And if you're trying to change someone's behavior, what could I have done differently so that my dad loved me? Terrible problem to solve. Remember, I am not God. I cannot change my behavior so that someone else changes their personality. Can't do it. So I want to throw a question at you and, and, and triggers. How do people go about, because ultimately, especially when somebody starts to design the life that they want to be in, they're getting rid of the toxic, toxicity in their life, but yet healing may not have taken place completely. Okay, so there's two pieces to a conversation around triggers. Because sometimes I have people, and there's like a crocodile gnawing on their arm. And they say, man, this is really triggering me that this crocodile is gnawing on my arm. I want to be toxic person proof. Can you make sure this crocodile doesn't bother me? And I'm like, what? You're busted and bleeding. So there's really, it's hard to know. And that's why a healing strategy is so important. Because some people talk about triggers and there's something that's actually wrong. And it should bother them. And they're saying, well, it's bothering me that this is happening, but I don't want it to trigger me. And if you're starting to say, I want people to be able to treat me badly and me not notice, that's a problem. We, we, wanna, we don't want to do that. Right. But if it's a habit of sadness in yourself, a habit of, okay, I'm going to stand up for myself or a habit of darkness, a habit of depression, a habit of being overly stressed. And then someone kind of pokes and it busts open. That is a, that's, that's a trigger. Right. That is something you want to address. Yeah. And I just finished a whole stress reset in my own body and in my own nervous system because hashtag COVID, I mean, good grief. Like everybody's been super stressed out this year. Um, so I'll give you, if I may, two or three very quick stress reset strategies. Absolutely. Okay. Because what I want is for you to lengthen the rope. You know how people say, I get to the end of my rope. Yes. I don't want you to not notice if someone's cutting, chopping your rope every day. I do want you to notice that, but I don't want your rope to always be short because of your past. Does that make sense? Mm -hmm. Yeah. So very fun strategy. If you pretend I was talking about hiking, now I'm going back to it. But if there's a sunset or mountain range, kind of 70% up. So take your eyes, look up, not if you're driving, you listen to the podcast in your car, practice this later. Um, but you can look up at 70 degrees and then um, make sure your peripheral vision is being engaged. So as I'm doing this, I'm holding up my hand so I can see my hand out of my peripheral vision, but I'm looking up 70%. That actually accesses the same brain waves as meditation. This is especially helpful if you're at work, you're looking at a screen all day, you're looking at your computer all day. No one says that's a recipe for stress success, okay? One minute, you've got a minute between meetings you can either check your phone which means more stress at the end of your day right. or you can 
access those brain waves that signal to your body we can rest and digest, not fight and flight. Okay, very easy way. Um, also, humming. You're driving in your car to work, you're making your morning coffee. Um, uh, which is temptations. I have no idea why I went with a deep around the bed, but that's what came to mind. Um, and then it's, you know, whatever it is, like your power song, you could uh, listen to Rocky. You know, and hum that, okay? Yeah. So you have a vagal nerve which is the largest nerve in your body. So when you are in fight and flight, that nerve is being activated. If it's activated too much, you start to shut down, which is freeze. Okay, which is a real danger zone. They call it the shutdown circuit. And if your body is in freeze or you're disassociated or you're apathetic, something's very wrong. So if you're humming, you're actually, it's like a massage for that vagal nerve because it's kind of like in your neck, like behind your vocal cords and stuff. So either singing or humming is a really easy way to kind of give that nerve a massage to say, hey, it's okay to be in rest and digest versus fight and flight. Mm. That's interesting. I didn't know that. It is interesting. And you see why it's just making your rope a little bit longer. Yeah. Your kids are getting on your nerves. You know, whatever's happening. Okay, I'm gonna hum a bit while I'm making my morning coffee. Starting a practice of that is a really, really easy, free, quick way to just do a tiny habit. But as we've learned from Atomic Habits and some of these other books, you make a 1% difference. And over a hundred days, that's a hundred percent difference. So let's dive in a little bit to your book yes yes a book about you know the the toxic person proof yes and um i'm waiting any day for mine to come in the mail well thank you what led you to write the book and to ultimately this is a journey of you and the toxicity that you went to and then helping other people what led you to it and can you give us a little bit about the book absolutely so if Tina Fey's bossy pants and the sociopath next door had a baby, it would be my book. <laughs> so it is funny. It is humorous. I tried to bring a lot of light, but the premise of the book is all these ideas. And if I may, I'll tell you a story about my grandmother. When my son was young, he was talking that there was a bully in his class. And he said, this boy's bullying everyone. He's being really mean. And my grandmother said, well, if he's bullying people, he probably needs friends. So you should be nicer to him so he stops bullying you. Okay. This is where it all started for me. Because what I learned is if I change my behavior, I can change your behavior. The meaner you are, the nicer I'm supposed to be. Right. And people say that all the time. People think that stuff all the time. When it comes to bullies, it's either punch them or be nicer to them is usually the advice we get. Right. Rather than 
What are some emotional cushions, emotional buy-ins? How can we make the game not fun for them? Right. Because there are grown-up bullies. There are people who bully their children. There are people who bully coworkers. There are people who bully their spouses. So that was the premise of this book, is to take some of these ideas that society has where we go, you know, we probably need to take a second look at that. For example, we all hear, you know, we may teach kids, well, don't talk to strangers, rather than don't talk to sociopaths. <laughs> Which, this idea is that all the good people I know, all the bad people I don't know. But when we look at child molestation, when we look at terrible things that happen every day, I have someone tell me they were sexually molested every day, every day. And it was always by someone they knew, always. So we're teaching our kids, the people we know, the people in my circle are safe. The people I don't know are not safe. Don't go into a dark alley, but if you're at church, it's fine. Right. We need a better set of data. We need to recognize there are toxic people and we know them. Right. And then stop making excuses like hurt people hurt people. Yes. Yes. Sometimes that is true and sometimes hurt people help people. So where's the difference? Right. Mm, that's good. And where do we want to set it up? You know, set up the set up the rules. Okay, if you had a bad childhood, then you get to treat me bad as an adult. Or you have had a bad childhood, you should probably get some help. But until you get that help, I'm not going to be your punching bag. Right. Yeah, the healthy person definitely has to set the boundaries as well. Mm -hmm. You know, um, because it's not just helping them to remain healthy but it's also helping the toxic individual to stop. Hopefully, yeah. Hopefully, yeah, you know, because I mean, ultimately that toxic person is that bully, right? You know, at some point in time, the bully, you know, it's, 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 it's a fine line of trying to teach other people that they're doing wrong yes. without saying you, 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 sure. because a narcissist isn't going to believe you. Somebody that's defensive thinks you're going to be attacking them, mm -hmm. you know, and so, but saying, you know what? I love you. And because I love you, I am setting healthy boundaries for me mm -hmm. because I want to remain healthy. And when I set them for me, you can't help, but for them to also be for the other person. You don't have to sit there and say, I'm setting the boundary because you're such an evil person. No, I'm setting the boundary because I can't be a part of this. And I would highly recommend not saying I'm setting a boundary because you're an evil person. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, or you're a narcissist. I, I talk about the bull to bull concept. Right. Like if there's two bulls going head to head. And a lot of times with bullies, people say, okay, now I'm going to set a boundary and stand up for myself. But that's playing, if you're dealing with a bully, the game of standing up for yourself or fighting right. is a game they're already good at. Okay, let's look at this in the workplace. You have a coworker who's always mean, they're always bullying, they're always playing games. And you say, okay, I know how to fix this. I'm going to use harsh words back. Right. I'm going to use anger back. 
So then on the outside, you see it looks like two people, two bulls going head to head. And then the toxic person says, look, see, it's not just my fault. They're toxic too. It's a terrible strategy. And it's the strategy I see people most likely trying to use is that idea of standing up for themselves. And it's play to win, not to fight. And toxic people are really good at fighting. You want to win. Winning is peace. Winning is joy. Winning is having a sense of safety. Winning is not obsessing over changing someone else's behavior. That's what winning looks like. Not getting a toxic person to back down. You know, because ultimately toxic people, and this is for humans, regardless if you're toxic or not, because I've even found myself in this, you know, we can't help the thoughts that come into our mind, mm -hmm. okay? But we can control our reaction to those thoughts, okay? Mm -hmm. And reactions can happen in a self, uh, several different ways. It could be an immediate lash out, or it can be something that you dwell on, you know, and then it festers within you, and then it becomes you create scenarios behind it, and then you end up having the reaction. And I found, I caught myself at times that a thought would come into my head, so now I would create the scenario of addressing someone, and if they wanted to argue, I would go about it this way. And if they wanted to be nice, then I would also go about it this other way. And all I was doing was with inside of myself, preparing for battle, toxic way, instead of saying, you know what, I take captive those thoughts. For me, I'm gonna plead the blood of Jesus over me. I'm gonna get, bind those thoughts up, let them go. And then so when somebody does, even if they did come at me a certain way, it's like, you know what, I'm, I'm sorry you feel that way, you know? Mm -hmm. Or, hey, I'm, I'm gonna be praying for you. You know, mm -hmm. I, I hope you have a better day, you know? Or responding with love, because ultimately when you respond with love to a hateful person, it's kind of like the movie um, Santa Claus, okay? When I think it's Santa Claus 2 when Jack Frost freezes everybody and the little mm -hmm. girl comes up and gives him the hug. And he's like, ooh, ooh, I'm starting to feel warm. He couldn't do anything about it, you know? And I kind of think about it. When you respond to somebody in love, especially when they expect hate, hatred to come out or more toxic words, mm -hmm. then they're like, well, I didn't plan for that one. <laughs> it's diffusing the situation. It's diffusing the bomb. You know, because toxic people, especially ones that want to fight, <laughs> they want the fight back because they're mm -hmm. ready for it. But when you respond back with love, they're like, well, well now I don't, I'm, I'm kind of speechless, mm -hmm. you know? And I'll tell you a funny story, and this isn't necessarily about toxicity, but I understood this about the power of things. Years ago, I used to love aggravating my wife when we were in bed because she didn't like feet. She didn't like feet. She would do people's manicures all day long, okay? But she didn't like feet rubbing her. And I would always, when we would go to bed, I would take my feet and I would rub hers, okay? And she would get, she'd get mad at me, okay? And I would drive her. Now, I'm playing, but of course it was getting on her nerves. And I would drive her to the point that almost when she's like, I'm getting out of bed and I'm gonna go sleep on the couch or whatever the case is. And I would drive her to that point and right before she got to that point, I'd stop. And I did this for years because it was funny to me, okay? And one night I did this, I rubbed my foot up against hers and she had no response. I rubbed it again and then I'm like, well now I need to move my leg all the way up to like her, her calf or to her knee or to her thigh. 
And she gave me no response whatsoever, nothing, not a word, not a sigh, didn't move her leg, didn't do anything. And then I'm like, well, now I don't know what to do. I've lost. And I always say this, I, I, what came to my mind out of this is because she didn't respond the way mm -hmm. I wanted her to, she took the power away from me. And when she took the power away from me, I didn't know what to do. Mm -hmm. I, I was lost. And so I never did it again. <laughs> she made the game not fun. Yeah, she made the game not fun. So it's just like, well, now I got to find something else to do. <laughs> yes, yeah, that's a very playful situation, yeah, but a great illustration. But in life itself, when we come in to somebody that expects us to fight back, it's like, no, it's okay. I, I'm not bothered by what you did. It's, it's okay. You know, or simply just sometimes mm -hmm. you don't know what to say, so don't say anything. Mm -hmm. I've learned to keep my mouth shut in terms of things like that because I know for me, because I have been a defensive person on, on, on the other end, I have been that I got to attack back because I'm going to, I'm going to have the last word kind of thing, you know, but sometimes one of the biggest life lessons I ever had when it came to another job that I was getting fired from is I didn't retaliate back. Mm -hmm. I didn't say anything back and they, they did everything they could to destroy me. I'm just like, it's okay. It's okay. And it was a lesson for me to not just, not just to open my mouth. And when I did that, God ended up promoting me later on in terms of my own business. You know, I didn't see it then, but it came later. And that was my ultimate victory. You know? The best revenge is a life well lived. I mean, it really is. When you get to that place, you know, the personal power and not letting people steal your power, that's, that's integrity. Absolutely. Sarah, your website is Sarah. It's with an H, kramsey.com. That's the best way for people to reach out. But what, how can you, what do you do specifically in terms of uh, being a coach that if people are like, hey, I really love what she says. She, I'm, she's speaking my language. How can you help them? What is your coaching intel that you can help people with? I walk people through, that is a video series of reconnect with what's right with you, become toxic person proof and design a life you're excited about living. That is the magic. No one works with me without going through that video series, uh, but I do work with people privately and through group, co group coaching along with that video series. But there's a certain base that everyone needs, right? That everyone needs to learn two plus two before they start learning calculus. And it's, my biggest problem in my business is that it seems too good to be true. You know, when you go to programs and people are like, thank you for changing my life. Thank you for changing my life. And it's like, and I said that on a call today, this girl goes, it does seem too good to be true. If I hadn't followed you for two years, I don't know that I would have believed you. Uh, but that's the magic. And it's like, it's, it's not hard. I take wonderful people, help them connect with how wonderful they are, help them get out of the drama and then design lives they're excited about living. There's, there's no smoke and mirrors. That's, that's the deal. That's the soup. Wow. Wow. That's, that's amazing. I, I wish for me, I would have had that when things started happening, mm -hmm. with my dad's health. And then also, you know, mm -hmm. my wife going through cancer, I was figuring things out on my own, you know, and it wasn't until afterwards that I start getting some sort of, I started surrounding myself with people because I didn't like the way my mind was going, but it was going, wasn't working for me. And I'm a very, I would consider myself a very positive individual, but yet I still had so much unhealed, unresolved trauma 
that led to a lot of shameful areas, but then also inhibited me from growing my business, growing my personal life, being a father of three kids, you know, and all those. So for those listeners that out there, please reach out to Sarah. Her website is sarahkramsey.com. It's S-A-R-A-H, the letter K, Ramsey, R-A-M-S-E-Y.com. Reach out to her. Get the help. I'm telling you, get the help, people. Don't <laughs> ever, don't ever shy on somebody. And this is a person that just didn't create a course for you to purchase and go through the program. This is somebody that has lived it. And you heard her earlier in the episode. It hasn't been just with one relationship that it, it toxicity, but it's been multiple people. And this is living proof right here. And Sarah, I can't thank you enough for coming on the show. I'm blessed to have you. Thank you for having me. Um, I am so grateful for getting to talk about what I do and grateful for the change it creates. Yes, yes. And those that have listening, please go on. She has her own podcast, okay? And what- Toxic Person Proof. Joseph's gonna be on there soon. Yes, 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 yes. We can't wait. We can't, we're excited about that. So go check out her podcast, go check out her website and don't forget to leave her, subscribe to her podcast, leave a review and do the same for us. Thank you guys so much. We love y'all. Thank you for listening to the Purpose Through Pain podcast. If you enjoyed the show, please take a moment to share with a friend and leave a five-star review on iTunes. And don't forget to subscribe through your favorite podcast host so you won't miss a single episode. You're one step closer to finding true freedom and breakthrough.